I'm Jock Wilson, and this is Football North. We have officially hit the midway mark of the 2022 season. We've seen some good, some great, some bad, some ugly play in the league this season. But in general, I would declare the first half a success for the Canadian Football League. Let's kick off the podcast today with some thoughts from Calgary Stampeder head coach Dave Dickinson as his team closed out the first half with a 6-3 and record in third place in the CFL West. I mean, you always think you could have won more, but you're you're you got your head above water. You're in a situation where you think you got a chance to hopefully uh, win your conference, and and that's the first goal is if you want to make the playoffs. But that's the standard we feel we should do every year, and then you try to then see if you can win the West, get yourself set up for uh, the easiest route possible back to a Grey Cup. The injuries really are crazy, but it's not just the Calgary Stampeders. You look at all of the teams in the league right now. Injuries are, are a huge story across the board, aren't they? Yeah, and I think what you're seeing is guys are, well, the, the talent level is so great, and it's played at such a high speed, and the collisions are just so major. And, you know, and you know, you say what you want. We're not having big rosters. The guys really work hard. You know, they not only play their position, they play special teams and I mean, we had a game uh, with 41 special team plays the other day. So, you know, it's like they're playing, honestly, another part of a whole game. So uh, we understand they're part of our game. They suck, but uh, <laughs> we're, we're trying to find a way through them. And it and, uh, does also, though, um, everybody on your team feels like they probably will get an opportunity to go. And uh, that can ultimately bring the team closer together. What about the game itself? You know, last year was 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 such a, a different season because you know you came off a missed season. It was only a fourteen game season. There was no training camp last year. This year, there seems to be a little more cohesion, a little more excitement. Obviously, a lot more excitement. The games are all close. Scoring is up a little bit. Uh, new rules are in play. Uh, are they working? I, I just like your thoughts overall in the game. I actually, you need to ask your viewers that. I mean, you got to ask the people that matter, the fans, because we're we feel the game's good. We do, but we work in it. It's our profession. I mean, we got to. What do the people think? I think it's been great this year. I think, like you said, I think it's been back and forth. I think scoring is up. I think quarterback play has been pretty good. Um, so the things that kind of drive our league, I think, ultimately are doing a good job. I do think, obviously, uh, um, when I look when I look at things, rules, and I look at this and that, I don't know what makes it different, but I think the play is better. I think the training camps matter. I think padded practices matter. So all the things we did in the offseason, I think, have helped the, the quality of the play. And, but it really comes down to what do the fans think. And I think it's been exciting. I do. Uh, I really do. Okay, so Dave Dickinson says the game has never been healthier, at least for the product on the field. Glenn Suter is the lead analyst for TSN. Here are his thoughts on the first half of the season. When I look back at the first half, I, I first of all, you know, I'll say on the record that I think that the changing of the hash marks has made a marginal difference, a small difference. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that what we've seen as far as entertainment has really much to do with that change. I, I'll give, I'll give the league credit for, and, and John Hopnagel, who I believe had the original idea, um, I'll give him credit for, you know, maybe it is part of, of some pretty entertaining football in some cases, but, you know, obviously the biggest story in the first half was Nathan Rourke. Looks to the right, goes to Butler. It's his running back again. Finds a little bit of room to the end zone. Touchdown! Lions strike first. James Butler takes it from Rourke. Finds the end zone. 
Nice drive to start for the Lions. Can they finish it, though? Rourke, he's going to look to finish it right now. Far side, touchdown, he's got him. Brian Burnham strikes early. BC on top. Rourke stays in with the short yardage package. Sprint to the left. Flags are down. Looks like it'll be offside, but Rourke doesn't care. Down the left sideline. Showing off the speed. Will he score? He will. Touchdown, BC. He has... He has not only shown that he is the real deal, that he is a phenomenal, like a phenom. He is a, you know, and I, I'm, I, I know it's still a small sample size, so I don't want to get too far overboard. But it, he, he has shown his skill level to be at that sort of generational player discussion kind of thing. I just haven't seen it for a 24-year-old to be that sharp, to be that focused and, and, and process defenses and have the quick release and accuracy at 24 years old and start number 10 and 11, 8, 9, 10, 11. I just, I've never seen it in my time in the game, and that's over 30 years. So that obviously has been the biggest story of the first half. And now we'll have to put that story on hold, excuse me, for a couple of, uh, you know, for a couple of months here, hopefully he gets back this year, but maybe not, and maybe it'll be next year. But uh, that that jumps out. And the fact that he's Canadian, you know, I think is special in so many ways and, and inspirational to so many kids. But the one thing that trumps it all has been the entertainment value of Canadian football in the first half of the year. I mean, we have had so many, I want to say, 75% of our games to this point have been decided in the final three minutes. Even with the teams that have struggled, they have pushed the best teams in the league, Ottawa pushing Winnipeg, the best teams in the league, to the brink and to the three-minute mark, and then it's a touchdown later, a field goal later, a big kick return. The entertainment value of Canadian football has been through the roof this year. If you're a fan of the game in general, either side of the border, either version, either any level, if you're a fan of football, you had to have been uh, entertained over the first half of this football season. It's a great point. Dave Dickinson even said it himself. The, the game has never been better, and, and hopefully that resonates into more success you know, with the fan base from the, the Canadian or for the Canadian football league. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, you know, we'll see, we'll see if there's increased revenues through some of these other initiatives like gambling and things like that. And their and their corporate connections with the league now and, um, you know, genius sports and the new, the new partnership there that it's, I think is working behind the scenes, but has not, you know, done anything in a big way publicly that we've seen yet, but I'm sure they're working hard behind the scenes. So we'll see how that transpires. I think we've got good new ownership and leadership in Edmonton and BC. And, you know, honestly, this, this is just proof to me that across the country that we just need to bury this thought from everybody, the league level, media, whatever it may be, that our, our product needs fixing. This, this, the game of football in our country and our rules does not need fixing. We can always tweak and we can always look at ways to improve. You have to do that. But this, this first half of the season has shown us 
with the parody and the drama and the excitement and the storylines of a guy like Nathan and the fight in the West and the games going down in the final three minutes and winning field goals and huge kick returns. Logan takes it cleanly, finds some space on the far side, stays on his feet, and here he goes. Peyton Logan's got to beat the kicker. Flintoff can't stop him, and Logan's gone. 30, 20, 10, all the way home. Touchdown, Calgary. Peyton Logan goes the distance in spectacular fashion. Lothar will kick this away. And that will come down to Worthy just inside the 30. Worthy cuts it back up to the 40. Now oh Worthy's trying to escape, and here he goes again. Chandler Worthy, far side of the field, down to the 40. Worthy, one man to beat, gets to the 20, gets around, and he's going to take it all the way home. Another house call for Chandler Worthy, and the Alouettes strike back again. 84 yards for Worthy. And all of the excitement level that has come with Canadian football this year, this game has not broken. It wasn't broken before. It doesn't need fixing. It, it just needs to be promoted, and our messaging needs to be consistent. World-class athletes putting on a show in our game in your own backyard for an affordable price for your family. That's what this game has been. I agree with everything you say, although to play devil's advocate... There is concern about the discrepancy. Once again, you know, the West being stronger than the East. What do you say to that criticism? Well, I think the the crossover for now um, takes care of that. And and it it takes care of the really ugly win-loss record that may make the playoffs. You know, since the crossover's been in place, there hasn't been like a six-win team make the playoffs in one of either division. So the crossover kind of carries you there the only thing that i would again tweaks right tweaks and small improvements and the only thing that i would tweak there is to have if the if the crossover team in the west this year for instance has a you know the better record than the second place team in the east then they should have home field and the eastern team should have to travel to saskatchewan or calgary wherever that crossover team plays so you know, that would be a small tweak that the home field advantage goes to the team with the best record. And it could even be head to head if it's tied. Um, so, you know, that would be a small tweak, but I think we're okay with the divisions right now. Again, those are, you know, those are, we had a time when Montreal was dominating, you know, so when, when it was Calvillo and company and they were going to great cup after great cup. And then there was Ricky Ray in Toronto and there was a run where the East was winning. So winning the championship, not necessarily the better regular seasons, but winning the championships. So if you look into the Glenn Suter crystal ball moving forward for the second half of the season, for me, it's obviously can Winnipeg make it three in a row, which has really you know been unprecedented recently in the Canadian Football League. And, and it's going to be the quarterbacking situation, quarterbacking in Calgary, quarterbacking in Saskatchewan. You, you can go across the board, quarterbacking in B.C., go down the list. Right. That, that truly is, is going to be the story moving forward, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And, you know, again, the, the Bombers, if, if they continue with their success and Zach you know, coming off a bye is is hot, and and you know they start to win three or four. I mean, at what point do they sit down, guys? I mean, they may be three games to go in the regular season where where they've locked up first in the division. So that's that's going to be fun to watch and see if they can do that, or if teams push them and and which teams sort of emerge. Um, you know, I 
I, I think we're going to see maybe a, a little lull in offensive production because of that quarterback situation and it not really being settled in a lot of teams right now. And you can go in the East and see the same thing in a lot of ways. I mean, is it our buckle in Ottawa this week? I think it might be. It is, yeah. So, yeah, so they're back and forth there. Um, you know, Taylor Cornelius is doing some things. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. But, you know, all of a sudden we're young at the position again. Michael O'Connor in B.C., so for the next few games, we probably see some defensive dominance. But that doesn't mean it won't be exciting. And that doesn't mean there won't be drama and theater and what we love about sports, which is great parody that takes us right to the edge of our seat, right down to the final three minutes of games. And, and again, and I've said this all offseason, you don't have to score 75 or 80 points in a game to make it entertaining. A 21-20 game is just as entertaining and Defense is allowed to win, too. So, you know, keep this in mind, Jock. In every single series offensively for a team, half the audience wants a stop on two and out. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, why do we constantly feel like we're not entertaining unless we're doing something to help the offenses out? I mean, it's. It, you know, obviously it comes from a former safety, but the, <laughs> the bottom line is that greater, higher scoring games did not necessarily mean more entertaining games. Some interesting thoughts from Glenn Suter, the lead analyst for TSN. All right, let's bring in our CFL North roundtable as we dissect the first half of the CFL season. Derek Taylor is the voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on CJOB. And from the East, we welcome in Rick Zamperin, the former voice of the Hamilton Tiger Cats on CHML. Uh, Derek, why don't we start off with you, uh, your thoughts on the first half of the CFL season? I think the West is running the CFL. I think the three best teams, probably the four, maybe the four best teams, are in the West this season, kind of 2017 reminiscent. But, man, there's some games in the East that have been uh, been very intriguing and give me thoughts of, oh, you know what, there might be a challenger out there come the end of the season. Okay, Rick, I guess i got to ask you, uh, Derek just laid down the gauntlet because he said, you know, the West is running the league. The East is uh, basically the weak sister. What do you think? He's 100% right. The West is the best, you know, save for Edmonton. But the fact of the matter is, look at the records. They're astonishingly amazing. And not only that, you look at some of the teams in the East and you're thinking, what? How? How is Hamilton three and seven after ten games? Ottawa just one win. I thought they were supposed to be better. Toronto under five hundred and Montreal. Absolutely, the West is the king of the hill right now. Okay, I I don't know how since we'll start with the East. How Paul Apolice still has a job? You know that's not a very good Ottawa team. And Derek, I know that they were sort of your dark horse team at the start of the season. If I was the general manager there, I'd be firing Paul Lapolis. I would probably bring in Kahari Jones. Uh, what do you think? Uh, I I like the thought of bringing Kahari Jones in anywhere at any time. I think he's fantastic. Here's the thing. Lapo's been the head coach there essentially for a season and a half. Last season, to me, saddled with an atrocious roster. Just atrocious roster that I thought, this is the worst team in the league again. This season, his superstar quarterback was taken out on a horrific cheap shot. Or at least his star quarterback who was going to change the fortunes of the team. Lapo, to me, has some... There's some things that he's, he's just got to do that he hasn't done. He needs to go to a different quarterback and stop playing Caleb Evans. 
But I think there are circumstances outside his control that would make me, let's say, not as quick to pull the trigger as you would be. I think he's definitely got to be looking for, uh, you know, where, where's the where's the knife that's going to get me? But I, I'm just I'm not quite there yet because of things that have happened unto his roster. Rick, your thoughts? Listen, Ottawa. I think is a much better team on paper this year compared to last year. I don't think there's any question about that. You know, if Jeremiah Masoli is healthy for all nine games instead of just the three-plus that he played, I don't think this team's a one-win team. I think they probably scratch out maybe a couple of more wins at least. And we're probably not talking – what we're probably talking about is, man, there, there's a four-team race for first in the East who are all amazingly under 500. I, You know, the GM, Sean Burke, who I know well from his days here in Hamilton – I think he's going to run this season through its course, see what he has, uh, and then make a decision. I think if you do it now, halfway through the season, you know, it's pretty much a lost year, even saying that they're only, you know, three games out of first place. I think he, he, he identifies what he has, identifies the strengths and the weaknesses of this team, and then in the offseason, pull the trigger on a new core or, or on a new head coach. Dave Dickinson, the head coach of the Calgary Stampeders, says the game has never been healthier. He loves the direction this game is going with the new rules, the exciting finishes, you know, and and, and he says hopefully the fans get it. What is what is the feeling in the East, Rick? I, I like your thoughts on that first. Well, in the, the style of game that is played this year, especially compared to last year, is almost night and day in terms of, you know, offensive production, excitement, uh, you know, new stars coming to the fore like Nathan Rourke in BC, which, you know, unfortunately he's going to miss uh, most, if not the rest of the season with his with his ankle injury or, or his foot injury. But the fact of the matter is we're seeing many close games. We're seeing many games decided in the last few minutes, which is, you know, uh, one of the staples of the CFL. The game can change and has, in many cases, over the last three minutes of a ball game. And I think that, you know, the unpredictability, certainly, of the East and which team is going to show up on which day certainly adds some intrigue. But I really, you know, you look at the three big horses in the West, in Winnipeg, Calgary, and BC, and, you know, you could probably add Sask into that mix too as well. Those are the teams that I think most CFL fans are looking at thinking, you know, which one of those are going to be the champions at the end of the year? Because I don't think anybody's picking a team out of the East. In fact, this might be one of those exceptionally rare occurrences where we have two Western teams. It wasn't since Winnipeg and Saskatchewan way back in the early 2000s that they met, uh, you know, in the Grey Cup. This could be one of those years where the crossover team goes all the way. So I think that's a huge talking point, at least here in the East. Derek, you've been involved in this game for a long, long time. Is the game in a healthy situation as far as you're concerned? I I don't find myself on the opposite side of Dave Dickinson a lot, but if Nathan Rourke did not exist, would we be saying the same thing? I think think there's just so much heat around what Rourke and the BC Lions have brought that it allows us to paper over the fact that I think we're currently in like a two-quarterback league. Like it's Nathan Rourke. It's then Zach Kolaris, and then it is a it's a chasm mm-hmm. for the other seven quarterbacks in my mind in this league right now. Um, like to the point where there's conversations about oh should teams go out and get Nick Arbuckle, and you go well Nick Arbuckle has two touchdowns and ten interceptions. That's a hotly uh, you know desired quarterback right now, and it's it, we're in a strange spot. I think the games have been incredible. Uh, there have been some unbelievable games that have turned on. The, the easiest of things, Montreal loses the game, a chip shot field goal, Toronto 
doesn't force overtime because Boris Beattie misses the convert. 41-40 BC and Calgary. Calgary and Winnipeg with their two fantastic performances uh, head-to-head. Edmonton occasionally provides some excitement, but mostly some, some comic relief. But, they're, I mean, with Chris Jones, you got to believe they're a looming force. I think... I think there's been some good things, but I think they all kind of come back to uh, to Nathan Rourke because if that was uh, average quarterback B, uh, I, I don't think the, the Heat would be the same. I don't think the feel around the league would be the same. The Nathan Rourke injury and the play of Nathan Rourke, certainly the number one story in the Canadian Football League through the first half of the season. So so let's let's take that out of the equation just for a second. I, I want to follow up with what Derek was saying about the inconsistent play of quarterbacks, and, and I do think that's a big storyline. Rick, would you agree? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, apart from the two guys that Derek mentioned, uh, you know, all the other teams are thinking, you know, what what exactly do we have? You know, Ed, uh, Hamilton's a perfect example of, you know, them not re-signing Jeremiah Masoli and putting their chips all in with Dane Evans, thinking that, you know, he was the guy that was going to replicate what they did in 2019, in which this team won a franchise record 15 games. I think Dane that year was uh, 11-2 and two or, or something ridiculous like that. And, you know, he hasn't been anywhere close to that. Uh, you know, you look at Montreal, who started with Vernon Adams Jr. Now they're with Trevor Harris. Uh, Toronto is still with McLeod Bethel-Thompson. But, you know, is he the guy? Ottawa, of course, has had some quarterback issues. Uh, you know, obviously in any league, whether it's CFL, NFL, Arena League, whatever, Spring League is going to come about down south. The quarterback drives the show. We know that. And if there aren't those superstar players in a league to drive the needle or move the needle for the league, uh, there's not going to be th- uh, as much attention as we had back in the heyday with Flutie and Calvillo and Damon Allen and Matt Dunnigan, all these superstars, the legendary quarterbacks that really moved the needle and drove this league forward and I think attracted more eyeballs than they're getting now. Right across the league now, you point to you know the star players of this league and you know they're, they're no more than a handful really in terms of superstar players this league can market and get more eyeballs on the product. So Derek, is that a case where teams just aren't developing quarterbacks like we've seen in the past, or is that because of the expanded practice rosters in the NFL? We're just not getting that talent back here in Canada. I wonder if it's just not bad luck, right? Uh, Michael Riley chooses to retire. Uh, Boldy by Mitchell. He he hasn't looked looked a hundred percent right since 2018, mostly probably attributable to injuries. I thought after 20, and then this bad luck, after 2019, I think the CFL probably figured they were in, they were about to be in the perfect place. You had Cody Fajardo as this rising star with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders with a great story. Out of nowhere, Fajardo becomes a star in the West. And then in the East, you had Vernon Adams. And oh boy, were people uh, around the Montreal Alouettes hyped about Vernon Adams coming out of 2019. Two quarterbacks who could run, who could throw the ball deep, who had kind of, it looked like everything we wanted in quarterbacks. And, you know, 2021, both guys regressed. And in 2022, both guys regressed again. And you go, okay, well, we didn't get what we were hoping for. Uh, that would have been the perfect scenario, right? Fajardo's a star. Vernon Adams is a star. Oh, this Dane Evans can really make some things pop. Oh, Missoni goes to Ottawa. Fantastic. McLeod Bethel Thompson, best arm in the Canadian Football League. Uh, Michael Riley, you know, retiring is would have robbed us of Nathan. Not retiring would have robbed us of Nathan. Nathan York, Rourke, pardon me, and Nathan Rourke. I've already <laughs> forgotten his name. That's unfortunate. I, I think there's there's just a lot of bad luck, and we're just in a 
one of those seasons of, okay, well, the guys who were the stars are either gone, Michael Riley, Ricky Ray, stuff like that, or would appear to be on the way out in Bo Levi Mitchell and, you know, not developing in the, in the Fajardo. So we're left with, you know, Rourke, who was beyond unbelievable, and Zach Kalaris, who is now going to be the favorite to win back-to-back MLP awards in this league. And it's just, I, I think we just, we just have to kind of, you know, hold our water and wait for the next, next ones to emerge. In the meantime, uh, we've got stars in other positions that we probably need to, uh, to get hyped on. Mm-hmm. No, I would agree with that. You know, when I look back at the first half of the season, I, I look at three really compelling storylines. You know, the play of the quarterbacks, which we've already discussed. I, I also look at my, my second topic would be injuries. And, and it's not just a Calgary Stampeder story. This is a story that is league-wide right now. And maybe I just have short-term memory loss. I don't know. Maybe this has been always an ongoing story in, in the Canadian Football League. But, but, but the, the number of injuries, the number of severe injuries, certainly to me, seems like uh, you know that, that has stood out in 2022. Rick, your thoughts? Well, I, I hearken back to, I believe it was 2019, where every CFL team, I think save for BC, uh, had at one point started at least two quarterbacks, and some teams had to go to QB3 because of the injury situation. Listen, injuries are going to be a part of this game forever and ever, amen. But yeah, when those starting superstar quarterbacks go down, that is a killer on a number of fronts. Number one for the team, number two for the league, number three for marketing perspective. Um, and, and, you know, we cannot have our best players going down. There's new rules that have been implemented over the past number of years to protect these star players, and still they're going down. So the fact of the matter is, even with them going down, though, I mean, as we just talked about, these games are still ultra competitive. They're still close. They're, you know, roller coaster rides, which speaks to, I think, the depth of this league. So quarterback number two is not as big of a drop off as it has been in years gone by. Is there a drop off? Yeah, absolutely. But it's not as cataclysmic as it has been in the past. And you can go, you know, really across the board in a number of position groups. It's not just the QB. So, I think the league itself, in terms of talent depth, is there. We just need more and more of the Nathan Rourke's, not necessarily just the Canadian guys, but a lot of American guys, too, to make that elite-level status. We're, we're, uh, we're hopeful of that. Well, I, I agree with what you're saying, Rick, and, and Derek, I'll, I'll throw this to you, because it's not just the, the injuries to the quarterbacks, it's it, it's across the board. You know, every single team is dealing with it right now. Uh, I don't know how many uh, players Winnipeg had on the six-man injured list, but, you know, the Calgary Stampeders have, you know, like 12 players on the six-man injured list right now. You look at Edmonton's roster, you, you go across the board. Uh, you know, the, the, this to me is intriguing. You, you crunch the numbers a heck of a lot better than I do. What do you think? Well, yeah, like a lot of teams, some teams last year were able to avoid the, the pit Saskatchewan fill-in, right? Like we were all constantly talking about them, 16, 17 guys in the six-game injured list. And, I mean, that continues for them this season, right? Think of what, uh, what the Riders could be had Shaq Evans not been injured and had Kyron Moore been able to play alongside Duke Williams and Key and Schaefer-Baker and, you know, whoever else they throw in there, Justin McKinnis has popped the last couple of games. Saskatchewan. Oh, by the way, Pete Robertson got injured uh, in a game after he was just crushing the league in sacks. AC Leonard missed time. Mm-hmm. Like Saskatchewan must feel like they got robbed again. The the Bombers have and they're nine and one without their starting safety, their starting weak side linebacker having lost their their dime defensive back starter in training camp and on. And Ellingson's you know maybe going to miss a fourth game this week and on and on and on. Where it, it really is to me, it, it shows the importance of 
injuries are going to happen, but the, the Garrett Marino, Jeremiah Masoli situation, it shows, shows to me the CFL needs to take those kind of things incredibly seriously because Garrett Marino goes bonkers on Jeremiah Masoli on one play and changes the entire fate of that team and probably the entire fate of that division, mm-hmm. right? I, I, think we can, I think we all agree Ottawa would be at least slightly better. If they're even two wins better, the East looks totally different. Right now, so the CFL four game suspension in that time. That's that's what they need to do. Players need to know we can't be out hurting each each other. And I think Zach Kalaris and guys made it, made a real good case at the time of, you know, they need we need quarterbacks, we need our stars, and we need to protect our stars. So uh, I it's it's it, it can change the the course of everything. We I think Winnipeg fans. All, well, I wasn't a Winnipeg fan in 2021, but I was holding my breath going. Ooh, if Zach is not healthy, Zach Kolaris is not healthy for any spot, to me they're no longer the Grey Cup favorites. And I think that probably holds true today. Uh, if, if Zach Kolaris all of a sudden got injured, you know, a can fell on his, on his uh, throwing shoulder at the grocery store, what is, who's the Grey Cup favorite at that point? I honestly don't know because uh, Drew Brown, the backup quarterback, looked good on three plays in game number one, but would that hold up for 10 games in a Grey Cup run? So, so I mentioned my, my three top storylines, and, and obviously the quarterbacks and the injuries, you know, cer- certainly a storyline, the, you know, the, the injuries in total. But my other one is the, the emergence of personalities in this league, and, and, and not from a player perspective, but from a management perspective. I, I, I love the emergence of Gary Stern in Montreal, Victor Cui, you know, in, in Edmonton, Amar Doman, the, the, the new owner of the, of the BC Lions. To me... That resonates. Like right now, I, I, I kind of forget who the commissioner of the Canadian Football League is because Randy Ambrosi has almost become, you know, uh, uh, invisible because these guys have stolen the spotlight. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. For me, it's a good thing. Uh, uh, Rick, what, what, why don't you start? I think it's a good thing from a league perspective. Not necessarily, you know, if you went into, I don't know, downtown Toronto, downtown Regina, downtown Vancouver, and asked, you know, who is the owner of the Montreal Alouettes, they'd probably be hard-pressed, I would imagine, even if they're CFL fans, to identify that individual. But what they are going to notice is the investments that these new ownership groups or new owners are making in their teams in terms of marketing their product, uh, developing talent, attracting new talent to the league, be it Canadian or American. I think that is the ripple effect that the fan base is going to to feel because there's new blood in the league. There's new investment in the league. These new owners want to put their footprint on the Canadian Football League and say, hey, this is how we're going to do it. We'll spend some money here and there on different avenues to get our brand out there. And whether that's through social media or splashy player signings and free agency, I think that is the impact that's being felt with these new owners Derek oh I, lo- I love it I love all of it um Gary Stern's Gary Stern's a little bit wacky and his Twitter could is kind of E.E. <laughs> e. Cummings uh, you know throwback he could use some punctuation on his tweets but I love these owners that are involved Victor Queen and Edmonton and uh when I was in when I was in Vancouver for the game the Bombers and the the Lions walking around downtown there was there's this uh corner uh, gathering spot. It's this big concrete pad, I think outside of a, a museum. And there was a, there was a BC Lions activation with the big inflatable head and people were dressed in orange and you can't ride the train in Vancouver without seeing BC Lions advertisements. After years of uh, David Braley, who wanted to go back to blackouts to drive people back to the stadium, BC thought, you know what, we, we can take advantage of this. And we think, we think our product is cool. 
Here's some people in our jerseys. Here's some advertising. Here's some things where you can get involved in. The, 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 uh, there was some sort of taste of Vancouver or whatever going on, and this BC Lions activation was right near it. I go, this is perfect. This is, this is the heat that you need to bring in if you, uh, you want to bring in fans. Cause you just got to make it look cool. It's just got to be – you just got to make someone think it's cool. They're going to come. They might bring their friends. Uh, I love it. I, I absolutely love it because it's, it's not for everybody, right? Um, we'll see uh, a guy like Bob Young who's been incredible for the league isn't, you know, isn't going to be challenging people on Twitter and going guaranteed win night so that we have owners who naturally gravitate to stuff like that and, and CEOs and presidents who gravitate to these kind of things. I love it. Let's bring them all in because they all very clearly love the Canadian Football League in their own way, and it's natural for them. And that kind of natural love is going to spill over to fans, and I think pay pay dividends in the long run. Okay, I've given you guys my my top three storylines. I'm, I'm I know I'm missing a few, but uh, those were mine. Uh, Derek, uh, what would you add to that list uh, if you look back on the first half? Um, I I hope I hope it's not the last we've seen of Nathan Rourke. Um, I hope he's. I hope he's not gone to the NFL and never to return. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I wonder if his injury will will keep him from that. The the Liz Frank injury, which remember remember how scary it was back back when uh, we used to talk about ACL injuries as oh no that guy's done forever like the 80s and, and maybe early 90s. Liz Frank is kind of that word now. Oh, that's that's tough because the foot's so complicated. I, I was just pouring over some some Nathan Rourke data that I have and 80% completion rate, uh, like 13 points above expected uh, as far as his completion rate is, this is a ridiculous number. And this is a sign that this is an offense at its, at its absolute Zenith. Uh, and it's, it's a, it's a general manager who went, we have a rare opportunity here with a minimum salary quarterback to absolutely blow the doors off with this offense. And they, they have like, they have four, American receivers, a fifth Canadian receiver that everybody would love to have. They managed to fill in other spots. Their defense is this looming giant, and and it just I I, I hope it's not. I hope Rourke is the same. I hope he's I hope he's back, and I hope he's the same because if not, it's it's nine incredible you know nine incredible games of of action that I was trying to think, of, and maybe you guys have somebody here. We, we've been trying to think of. Who was the last young quarterback who had this much heat in the Canadian Football League in the post-Doug Flutie era? Right. Like, is it 2004 Casey Printers in that one magical season? Has there been anybody even close as a, as a young quarterback in this league bringing this kind of performance and this kind of heat? I, I don't know, but that's, I, I hope there's more Nathan Rourke in our CFL lives. Uh, I, think, I think you speak for all CFL fans on that one. Uh, Rick, uh, anything comes to your mind uh, when you look back in the first half? Yeah, the one thing that I will definitely mention, and it was a question that I had, and I think many CFL fans coming into the season is, is Winnipeg capable of going back to back to back, which hasn't been done since uh, Edmonton did it in the early uh, 1980s. And the fact of the matter is, I think, yeah, it's quite possibly, you know, they're, they're nine and one. They have absolutely smothered and dominated teams. Uh, and this despite losing, you know, an aging Trevor Harris or an aging uh, Andrew Harris. And, uh, you know, they're, they're probably their top receiver in Kenny Lawler. And they're still chugging along. So, I, 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 you know, it might still be a question mark because, you know, come playoff time, anything can happen. But that question mark is really faded because I think this this Winnipeg team is absolutely the real deal once again. 
Rick, I'm going to let you think about this for a second, but Derek Taylor, I'll ask you, do you, do you have a, a game, uh, the game of the first half? Uh, you know, I, I know Calgary, Winnipeg comes to mind uh, for me, oh. you know, the Winnipeg, B, uh, sorry, the, the BC Calgary game, uh, you know, probably for me, you know, even though the Stampeders lost that game, uh, that was the most compelling game. It was entertaining. It was great for the fans. Now Mitchell's going to look to strike right away towards the end zone, and he does. Touchdown, Sean Bain. Pretty much midfield for Rourke. Needs a couple to keep this drive alive. Looks down the field. He's got a man. All the way to the house, Brian Burnham. How about that? Late in his career and now has a chance to come out and win one for the BC Lions from 25 yards to complete a comeback for the visitors. And he knocks it home. The BC Lions go on top 41-40. Sean White clutch in the closing moments of this football game. And what a sensational Saturday night affair we've had on our hands tonight. Uh, what, 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 what's your game of the uh, game of the first half? Gosh, um, I'm going to have to say number three. I'm going to do the I mean, reverse order. Okay. They all, all involved the same teams. Number three was two unbeaten teams. Uh, Winnipeg goes to BC and they absolutely stomped out this, this potent offense in the BC Lions with 30 first half points. Uh, that was an incredible game, and it, it left us with the feeling of, yes, Winnipeg won by three scores, but, oh, this BC team is absolutely for real. Uh, number two would be Week 8, Winnipeg at Calgary. It was a one-touchdown win for, for the Bombers, but, man, Calgary was leading in a lot of important points in that game. They got over their – they sort of got over their drop problems from the Week 6 loss, and, man, did both those teams look like Kadeem Carey looked like an absolute monster. Mike Rose was eating people up. But there's the Winnipeg team just, just pulling through. And then, number one, just, I mean, in my mind, this has to be BC 41, Calgary yeah. 40. Like, yeah. BC has spots where they look like they're out of the game. And then, oh, oh, here's Nathan Rourke and his, and his very man of absolute <laughs> destroyers. Like, it, it was just I, – I, I kind of I couldn't believe – that I couldn't believe that BC came back to win that game. I thought, why am I doubting this BC Lions team with work? I'm, I'm just going to assume that if they're down, if they're within five scores with 15 minutes to go, that they can win the game because they just instilled that kind of confidence in me. I, I think I think those three teams have really driven to me the excitement, the the top level excitement games of the season thus far. Okay, Rick, I, I, I'm going to get you to put an Eastern spin on this. Uh, a, any game from the East that you would rank as your as your game of the year so far? Jeez, really? Do I have to pick an Eastern team? Or <laughs> if, if if I had to if I had to pick one, of course it's got to be Ty Cats Argos. You know, the most fierce rivalry in the Canadian Football League, certainly hands down in the East, and it's probably you know their their last meeting back in Week Ten, in which Hamilton uh, rallied back finally in the first time in this season, in which they uh, you know they they showed well in the second half, especially the fourth quarter. For whatever reason, they've been a horrible second half team and a in a dismal fourth quarter team but they battled back it was almost a playoff like atmosphere at Tim Hortons Field and they end up winning the game 34-27 second down and 10 deep look Schiltz and caught by White he breaks free he breaks free for a Hamilton touchdown big swing here Hamilton on the ground still Sean Thomas Erlington five touchdown Ticats 
their key players played amazingly well. And, you know, at least for another week, that week, they were back in the playoff hunt. And, you know, they still kind of are, despite their loss in Montreal. These back-to-back games coming up against the Argos, I think the game of the year is still to come. And that's probably the Labor Day Classic in Hamilton in a couple of weeks' time. Okay, so I, I'm not going to get you guys to uh, to make your predictions on, you know, the first half uh, MOP awards, because I think everybody does that. I, I, I'm going to ask you, though, to look into your crystal ball as we wrap up this edition of Football North, and and and, and what do you think will be the top storylines in the second half of the season? Derek, you start. I, I'm going to throw one out there, and this one's almost further down the chart. Can Nathan Rourke be the most outstanding Canadian in the CFL, having played only nine games? I'm going to want to know how that one will go. And uh, on the field, can Calgary beat Winnipeg in the West Final? Um, it's 2017, there were four teams in the West that had a better record than the best team in the East. And I thought, okay, well, whichever one gets through is going to absolutely stomp out the Grey Cup. Didn't happen that way because Toronto put up two 100-yard touchdowns and I looked stupid for publishing a piece on TSN that, that didn't go my way. But um, can anybody challenge the Bombers in, in at all? At all? Because the one team I was really looking forward to was, was the BC Lions with Nathan Rourke. I was looking forward to those West playoffs of Calgary, BC, Winnipeg. Who's, who's winning the first one? Who's winning in Winnipeg in the second one? And who goes on to the Great Cup? I... So to, and now it's like, okay, well, what will the fourth meeting between Calgary and Winnipeg look like is kind of all I'm looking forward to. But don't count out Nathan Rourke on your most outstanding Canadian ballot, just saying. Well, you, you know, it's interesting because I, I would agree with you. If I look into my crystal ball, the, the biggest story is heading into the second half of the season. Will Cody Fajardo still be the number one quarterback in Saskatchewan? Mm-hmm. Will Bo Levi Mitchell still be the number one quarterback in Calgary? What is Michael O'Connor going to do as the new starting quarterback for the BC Lions? Are does Rick Campbell and the BC Lions organization have to go out and 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 bring in a quarterback and who that quarterback is? I have I have no idea. But I, I and and to answer your question, Derek, yes, Calgary can beat Winnipeg if they get healthy, they get everybody ready, and if they get second place and 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 home field advantage in the because uh, they're not get, getting first place. So uh, those are the storylines for me. Rick, how about yourself? I'll go two very different avenues because I think some of the hot ones have been uh, have been covered. Number one, will there be a team in the East that finishes above 500? <laughs> Quick answer, no. It's not going to happen. Uh, number two, is Edmonton ever going to win a home game again? Because oh I don't, you know, the, the way it's going, it doesn't look good. You you got to figure they're going to get I don't know a lucky bounce, a big turnover at a key time, a late game field goal to finally break that long goose egg um i'm not too confident but uh, I'd, I'd i'd like to see it happen those are uh, pretty good storylines right there uh, derek you want to you want to have any final comments uh just a quick round table what who's the best team in the east what team will win the east in the regular season <laughs> i I have, a, I have a candidate i i, I think I know for, for me for me it's, for me it's much Mont- for me it's montreal okay rick Ah, oh, do we have to pick one? Can <laughs> you know? I, I think it's I'm good with that too. I think it's Toronto. I think you know the way that the schedule is set up. I think you know if they hold serve against the Tie Cats in their next game this coming Friday, uh, you know they're still in the driver's seat. They, I think, are a better team than Montreal on paper. Of course, they still got to play on the field. 
there's something amiss with the Ticats. I don't see them finishing first, although it is the East. They're only two points out. And obviously Ottawa is, you know, gone to bed and done. They're, they're done like dinner. I, I think it's the Argos. I just have a sneaking suspicion and I hate to say it, but I think the double blue probably finishes first. Hey, Derek, before you answer, it, it better not be the Ottawa Red Blacks, man. Well, here's why I still don't know. I, <laughs> I had so many wagers on the Ottawa Red Blacks performance this season that I just went down the toilet and second the only got hurt. Um, yeah. Uh, honestly, it, it, it's, it's uncomfortable because I don't love a lot of the things that I see from them. But to me, it's Montreal. Like, uh, best point differential in the East. Every team in the East has a negative point difference. But Montreal's only minus 13. And, man, was, was that defense uh, under Noel Thorpe tough against the Bombers in those two games? Mike Moore was wrecking people. That guy is a stud, and he's not – I mean, Nick Usher on the other side. Now, Mondo Sewell can occasionally decide that he doesn't like where this skyscraper is placed, so he just picks it up and throws it out of the way, Hulk style. Like, Montreal, I, I don't think – I don't know if anybody is a competitive Grey Cup in the, you know, in the, in the average you know, out, out, uh, output when it comes to the Grey Cup game, but I think Montreal might be the 9 and 9 team out there and and can witness one. I, I whatever happened to Hamilton? What happened to the Hamilton Tiger Cats? And how are we talking about them not having a chance? Like Rick, I think you nail it. With I don't think there's much to Hamilton. I just don't know how they're 15 and three, and then great in the Great Cup last year, and this year they can't. I don't know. Can't stop stumbling over their own feet with most of the same personnel involved. You better answer that one, Rick. Boy, if you were to tell me before the season started that after 10 games, the Ticats would have three wins and zero wins away, I would have said no way. Like, that's not going to happen, not with the talent that they have. You know, I think they're still defensively, you know, in the top four maybe in in this league. Offensively, though, they've been downright abysmal, and especially in the second half. They've showed well in flashes, but just not consistent enough, not good enough to get the Ws. Mm. Okay, uh, another crystal ball question, roundtable question, I guess, uh, would be, is this the year, 2022, where we see an all-West Grey Cup in Saskatchewan? Uh, Rick, you started off this time. Absolutely. It is going to be the Blue Bombers and somehow... The Stampeders. That's the only <laughs> way I see it happening. <laughs> but you know what? If if BC slinks to fourth, if Saskatchewan stays there, I think both of them really are good enough to run through the East and represent the East in the Grey Cup. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely think, I, you know, I'm going in a 90% confidence rate that two Western Division teams will meet in the Grey Cup this year. Something bizarre will have to happen in the East Final or the semifinal for them not to uh, make that happen. Ninety percent. I like those odds, Derek. What do you think? I, I think the people of Saskatchewan and the Grey Cup committee would be absolutely drooling at the thought of a Bombers Riders Grey Cup in Regina. Um, <laughs> I, I think, I, I just when I watch Saskatchewan and we we kind of touched on is Cody Fajardo going to be the quarterback at the end of the season or is it the Mason Fine or Jake Dolagala show by by that time. I, I just I don't think Saskatchewan's a team that can get through the East. If somehow, Jock, if somehow you can make Calgary fall to fourth place, this is what I've been rooting for for the last six weeks. Winnipeg, uh, BC, and Calgary, somehow one of those teams crosses over to the East because I think those are the three best teams in the league, and I think there's a real margin between Calgary and Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if Michael O'Connor is even – 
Matt Nichols level in BC. BC to me is still a problem for for a lot of teams. If somehow Calgary can get that crossover spot, we can have Zach and Bo head to head in the Grey Cup, and and Bo will announce in advance that this final game of his career because <laughs> things just ain't right. Uh, that's the one. I I don't I don't know if I believe enough in Saskatchewan that they can roll through, but I think Calgary rolls through that East Division and gives us the Grey Cup we truly deserve, and, or you know. We, we finally, the commissioner comes down in week 20 and goes, one division. It's a one division league from now on because it's just, it's unfortunate. There's, there's quality football players all about East Division, but the three best teams to me by far are, are in the West and we're, they're going to have to play each other to playoffs. Unless, Jock, Dave Dickinson will take a knee and finish 10 and 8. <laughs> 9 and 9, whatever. I, I, I might have thought that until Nathan Rourke goes down with an injury, and uh, Calgary still plays yeah. BC a couple of times. So we're going to see how that one plays out. It's going to be one of the storylines for sure. You, you know what I find amazing, guys? Here we are. We've talked for about the 35 minutes here on this Football North podcast. We only mentioned the name Garrett Marino once. Uh, that's, that's a good thing in my books, Derek. Uh, it, it is, because, I mean... He's a player of, you know, nominal importance on the field for, for the Riders. And most, most people, when you started naming teams, or, you know, players in the CFL, it'd take him a couple hundred to get down to Marino. But it, it's, it, it, we haven't said much about him, but he really, he really changed the fortunes of that entire East Division with one play. And then, oh, by the way, as BC Lions fans noticed, he hasn't really changed his ways post-suspension. Mm-hmm. So... I feel like we may be mentioning his name again as he smacks Peter Godber in the side of the head for no particular reason in their meeting. Uh, God, no more of that. Can we just have no more of guys trying to cripple each other unfairly? You want to lay out big hits? If if uh, Brady Oliveira wants to drill Kenny Law, or you know, wants to drill Ed Ganey, or Malcolm Thompson wants to put one through Kenny Lawler's ribs, totally legally, let's do it. But let's stop with it. Let's stop with this other stuff because it just. What was the East game this week? Where uh, oh, we're just going to scrap after every after every play and every whistle, right. we're going to push and shove each other. Like, come on, was it Hamilton in Montreal? Come on, just just play football. Yeah, just we, play we've football, seen play hard and stop trying to hurt each other and out tough guy each other. But then it's football, and I was like that when I was a terrible high school football player. So <laughs> we've seen too much of that after the whistle crap, and we've uh, seen too much pyramiding in the CFL in the first half of the season as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say this, Rick. I'm going to give the last word to you, Rick. So uh, the last word is Dane Evans, Matthew Schultz. Who's going to be who's going to be the storyline for Hamilton uh, in the second half of the season? I think it's going to be Dane Evans. I think he comes marching back. He finds his game somehow, and he leads this Hamilton team to the best record possible. I'm not sure what that number is or what number will clinch a division. It's it's at, at this point, it's looking like eight might be that magic number. How they get there, I'm not sure, but they definitely have to go uh, you know, on a, on a bit of a streak here. They haven't been a streaky good team in a long while, so he's got to be the guy. He's the guy that they're paying the big bucks to. He's the guy that has most of the mojo with his receiving core and his O-line. Uh, if he doesn't stir the drink, uh, the Matthew Schilt straw will certainly be used, as it has been this season, but it's not going to stir it fast enough to get uh, enough victories to finish first or second. Rick, as always, uh, appreciate your time on Football North. Nice to have that Eastern perspective. You got it. All right, Derek, and uh, good, t- good to talk to you again, my friend. We'll do it again real soon. That sounds good.
All right, that does it for another edition of Football North. Thanks so much for downloading the podcast and tuning in. Would love to hear your feedback. Maybe you have a topic idea for the show. You can always hit me up on my email, jock at am770chqr.com.